Well, this morning we are continuing in our series, Joy in the Journey, through the book of Philippians. And uh, before we get into our scripture reading here this morning, in fact, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to go ahead and, and reach for them and open up to Philippians chapter 1 for our scripture reading. And uh, in fact, as, as we think about our scripture reading, um, I just want to let you know kind of where we're going in the next few weeks here. Uh, we're going to take today and then two more Sundays to finish out the first chapter of Philippians. And then beginning the very first Sunday in October, we will hit the pause button in this series as we focus on our World Outreach Celebration and preparing that with a mission uh, series. And, uh, and then once we are done with World Outreach Celebration and a series on missions, we will come back in November and pick up in chapter 2 of our series in Philippians. So anyways, that kind of tells you where we are going. So we have three more lessons here to finish out chapter 1 of Philippians. And I appreciate you being here and as we continue in this series. And as we read here in Philippians chapter 1 for our scripture reading, here's the question that I, I want to ask and kind of hang over these verses for you to think about. And that is, are you ready for either? Are you ready for either? And so with that question in mind, I invite you to stand with your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1. In honor of God's word here, please stand and follow along as I read here in chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means faithful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word, the truth that it contains. Thank you for the testimony of Paul here. And Lord, may we just open up our hearts. May you open up our minds as well to hear and listen and apply as we make application from Paul's own living testimony recorded for us. Help me as I proclaim it, speak it, and communicate it. Help me to do it within your power, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Are you ready for either? That's the question this morning. In 1858, a young man named John Patton. I'm sure most of you probably never heard of this young man, but he has quite a story. He felt called of God to leave his ministry in Scotland to go as a missionary to the indigenous people of New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. Those islands were inhabited by cannibals. In fact, there had already been missionaries who had gone to these islands before who had been slaughtered within days of landing and eating, eaten by these cannibal tribes. As John Patton was preparing to go to these islands. There was an elderly gentleman in his church named Mr. Dixon who said to Mr. Patton, if you go, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And John Patton responded, Mr. Dixon, 
You are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. There to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. In that great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Now there's a man who was ready for either. John Patton understood that dying is inevitable. But like the Apostle Paul, he also understood that to live is Christ and to die is gain. In fact, John Patton was an extraordinary example of the old American Baptist Foreign Mission Society seal. And their seal, their logo, was that of an ox standing between an altar on one side and a plow on the ground on the other side. And written above both were the words, ready for either. And so what a perfect example of John Patton's life. What a perfect example of the Apostle Paul's life. And in his own personal mission statement that he declares in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so like John Patton and the Apostle Paul, the question again is, are you ready for either? Here's what Paul is showing us in these verses. From his own personal testimony to us this morning. Is that joy in the journey, once again, it is experienced most fully when you're ready for either life or death. Paul's ready for either. He is simultaneously thinking of his life and his death when he declares, for to me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so Paul is living every moment to glorify Christ. But he's also living every moment anticipating and longing for heaven. He walks, as John Calvin puts it, with one foot raised to heaven. Either way, life or death, it's a win-win situation from Paul's perspective. And perhaps the reason some of us are living without joy in the journey is because we're not ready for either life or death. Now, the truth is the average person on the street is secretly troubled at best. And even outright afraid, at worst, of dying. Primarily because they know that something is probably going to happen afterwards. It's going to happen next. Without realizing that most people actually personify the truth of Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. That says the children of unbelief are literally held in slavery by their fear of death. And yet Paul states that death here is gain to him. And he deliberately chooses this word gain because it means profit or advantage. And so from a biblical perspective, death is not loss, death is gain. Now this notion, let's be honest, it is very foreign to most people's conversations. Even today, we talk about people losing the battle with COVID. They view death as as the ultimate defeat, but this was not Paul's attitude toward death. He sees it not as defeat, he sees it as victory, and this should be our mindset as well. And so as Christ's followers, listen, we live for Christ here on earth. 
But we long for what is ahead in heaven because we are ready for either. This is Paul's difficult dilemma that he is struggling with, that he's facing in his own life. And what he does here in these verses is kind of like he opens up his heart to us, specifically in context to the church at Philippi. And he wants these believers to know his inward struggle between living here on earth but longing for heaven. And so Paul is ready for either life or death, but he is hard-pressed, he says, between the two. That's his dilemma that he's facing. He is hard-pressed between the two. We see this dilemma when he says in verses 22 through 23. Notice and look at it in your Bibles. He says, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Now, again, remember, where is Paul writing from? He is in prison. He is awaiting trial before Caesar himself. And he doesn't know which way the verdict will go. If he's going to live or if he's going to die. And so he pours out his honest thoughts. On one hand, Paul sees his imprisonment as an opportunity to proclaim Christ and to advance the gospel. And in this, he says he rejoices. And he says he will rejoice no matter what the outcome may be. Because his one supreme ambition is to magnify Christ, whether by death or by life. And yet, on the other hand, Paul also knows that heaven awaits him if he should die. And that is just so much better than any experience on earth. Now, Paul knows that God is sovereign over his life. He is confident about that. And he knows that God will do whatever God wants to do. The trouble is, Paul has no idea at this moment what that is. He doesn't know if it is God's will that he should stay on earth or if he should go on to heaven. And that's why he says, which, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. In other words, God hasn't revealed his will to Paul in this particular matter. And so what Paul is saying is something like this. I want what God wants. I want God's will for my life to be done. But God hasn't told me what he wants. So I can't tell you what I shall choose. If God wants me to live, that's what I want. But if God wants me to die, that's what I want also. That's Paul's thinking here. That's his whole mentality. And so no wonder Paul is hard-pressed between two, listen to this, two desirable alternatives. Ongoing life here on earth, but also an impending death that leads him, that brings him to glory in heaven. Now, this phrase that Paul uses, hard-pressed, it was actually used in the ancient world for a traveler in a very narrow pass with rock walls on both sides, so tightly hemming him in that he cannot turn around and backtrack. In fact, this is where we get our, our expression caught between a Rock and a hard place. It comes from this. And so Paul is saying something like this. I'm hard pressed between the two. On one side of me, there's the rock wall of dying is gain. 
and that's what I want in light of my circumstances. But on the other side is the rock wall of living is Christ. And that's what the Philippians need in light of their circumstances. And so I am caught between what I want and ultimately what God wants. And it's at this point that we must be careful. Because whenever our life gets confining... Whenever the walls start to close in and options get removed off the table, that's when we struggle. You see, options in life ease our burdens. Lack of options tend to increase our burdens. And we become hard-pressed. Whenever we feel like life is harder than what it was before, and my options are fewer than what they were before, then we are left with a choice. Do I want God's glory or do I want my comfort? God's glory or my comfort? And you may be wondering, why can't I have both? Isn't that what we all think inwardly? I just want both. Why can't God's will also be my comfort? You know what? Sometimes it might be. But there are other times it might not be. And so we can see Paul's dilemma. He's living here on earth, but he's longing for heaven. And whether God's will is to live or die, listen, Paul is ready for either. And so what that leads us to is two questions that I want to ask. Questions of application. Questions for each of us to honestly evaluate in our own lives. So here's the first question. Number one, are you longing to be with Christ in heaven? Are you longing to be with Christ in heaven? This is Paul's desire. And he flat out tells us that. Notice what he says in verse 23. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is what? Is to depart And be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, have you ever wondered, especially when life gets really hard, how long do I have to stay here on earth? Why can't I just bypass it all and and just go straight to heaven? Just avoid all the mess, the conflict, the chaos, the, the circumstances in my life? Perhaps when you watch, you open up social media or watch the news, you'll wonder that right now. Especially in the midst of, of a pandemic and election year and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, Lord, just come. And if you're not going to come, just take me home. I'm ready. I'm ready now. It's kind of like nine-year-old Lucy who said, when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there. It's a horrifying thought, isn't it? Not that your teacher would be in heaven, but that you would be given homework in heaven. And sadly, some people find that their current lives are so intolerable Their future is so hopeless that they want to die. In fact, they see death as an escape and they are tempted with thoughts of suicide. But Paul's desire is not death in and of itself. He's not looking to escape his life in prison. It's what stands on the other side that Paul longs for. And so... The application even of that would be don't try to live the Christian life without the hope of heaven because it's quite simply, it's impossible to do so. You see, for Paul, both his life and his death 
are defined by the fact that he belongs to Christ. In fact, because of his living is Christ attitude, he can also affirm his dying is gain perspective. So why did Paul prefer to depart this life? Well, he actually tells us why. He, in fact, he gives us three truths about death. First of which is this. Death is a departure from life in this world. He says in verse 23, my desire is to depart. And that's a beautiful way to describe death. This word depart, it actually means to break up, to unloose, to undo. It was used predominantly in Paul's day by sailors to describe a ship setting loose from its moorings to set sail for the next port at sea. And so in the same way, Paul says death is like a boat. It takes you where you want to go. And I think that's what Paul even had in mind when he writes his very last letter and says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, for the time of my departure has come. In other words, the time of my death has come. It's time for me to pull up the anchor. It's time for me to set sail. But it's not only just used of sailors. This word, departure, was also used of soldiers when they were camping out during battle to describe when it was time for them to break camp and move on or even to go back home. And that's a good way to think about our lives. We're just camping out here in this world. This earth is a campground. It's not much more than that. We're just passing through. Our permanent home will be in heaven, and one day it will be time for us to break camp Put away the tent and to move on. In fact, speaking of tent, that's how Paul describes our bodies. Remember what he said in 2 Corinthians 5.1? For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that is, when we die and leave these bodies of flesh, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And so Paul is basically saying, I'm eager to break camp. And leave this field of battle and enter the eternal rest of heaven in the presence of Christ. And so his first view of death is what? It's a departure. It's a departure from life in this world. But he also tells us, number two, that death is an encounter with Jesus in heaven. Paul says in verse 23, my my desire is to depart and be what? Go ahead, say it. To depart and be Yes, to be with Christ. Be with Christ. Now, this part is what makes death sweet for Christ followers. It's not the departure. It's the arrival. Listen, that makes it sweet. It's the encounter we're going to have with Jesus Christ. And Paul couldn't wait to see Jesus. Sometimes you hear people talk about heaven without ever mentioning Jesus. That's an anomaly. Only the world talks that way. And it's hypothetical. And it's not what Paul has in mind here. And so when he thought about death, he thought about being in the presence of Jesus Christ. Listen, heaven's main attraction, do you get this? Heaven's main attraction is not our dwelling place there. It's not even the streets of gold. Heaven's main attraction is Jesus himself. 
Listen to how Jesus described heaven in John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And so Jesus is emphasizing our encounter with him in heaven. Paul highlighted the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. He says, we are confident, yes, we'll please. Rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so again, Paul, it's all about our encounter with Jesus. And so the first truth about death, it's a departure from this life in this world, yes. But more than that, death is an encounter with Jesus in heaven. And then the third truth, Paul says, is being with Jesus in heaven is far better. It's just far better. Look again what he says in verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, and that is far better. Paul knew being with Jesus in heaven was better. But listen to me, not just better, he says far better. And if you could read it in the Greek, it's like he just piles up one word after another. Far, 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 far better, 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 better. He's just piling it up. Because it's, it's extraordinarily far better. Paul would know, too. If anybody would know it's far better, Paul would know. After all, he had this experience where he was actually taken up to the third heaven. And he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, I was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. In other words, Paul heard things. He saw things in heaven that was so astonishing, so much far better that he was not even allowed to tell us. What Paul does tell us, though, is that being with Jesus in heaven is far better than living on earth. By the way, this also means there's no soul sleep. There's no intermediate state. There's no purgatory. Paul says the moment you are absent from your body is the moment you are what? Present with the Lord. When D.L. Moody was on his deathbed, his family surrounded him, and D.L. Moody said to his family, I am not discouraged. I want to live as long as I am useful, but when my work is done, I want to be up and off. That night, he had a a very restless night. Early the next morning, he said in a very deliberate, slow cadence, these words, earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. His son, Will, thought he was just having some type of dream, and so he, he pushed on him to wake him up. But his dad said to Will, No, Will, this is no dream. It is beautiful. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. So you can understand why Paul is saying, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. And so Paul is facing this dilemma. He's living here on earth, but he's longing to be with Christ in heaven. And yet, and yet, he's willing if it be God's will, to stay and live for Christ. Which brings us to the second question we must answer. It's not just, are you willing, are you longing to be with Christ in heaven? But the second question is, are you willing to live for Christ here on earth? You see, although Paul desired to depart this life, he was convinced it wasn't God's time yet to leave. 
And so he writes in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. On whose account? On these Philippian believers' account. In this word necessary, it speaks of Paul's need to remain so that he can serve these Philippian believers. Paul believed God still had more work for him to accomplish in the lives of these Philippian believers. They needed Paul more than Paul needed to depart this life and be with Christ in heaven. And Paul was willing to put his desire on hold in order to fulfill their need. So here's the principle. is As long as you are alive on earth, God has a purpose for your being here. Do you realize that? As long as you are still living and breathing here on earth, God has a purpose for you now here on earth. Therefore, you need to ask yourself, well, why does God have me here on earth? The only reason Paul was willing to remain was to live for Christ. What about you? What's your purpose? Your purpose for living. Is it to live for self and to advance your kingdom, your glory? Or is it to live for Christ and to advance his gospel, his kingdom, and promote his glory? Paul gives us some reasons to live here. Notice what they are. The first reason is Paul was willing to persist in life to multiply fruit for Christ. Notice what he writes in verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, if I'm still kicking, I will still be working to multiply fruit for Christ. Paul's attitude was, as long as I'm breathing, I'm going to still be battling. And I'm going to use every breath I have to reap more fruit that remains for Jesus Christ. Why? Because you can only multiply fruit when you're living on earth. Do you realize that? Fruitfulness ends when you die. There's no bearing fruit in heaven. All our fruitfulness is on earth. Your fruitfulness ends the day you die, and then you get rewarded for your fruitfulness in heaven. And so as long as you're living on earth, now is the time to bear fruit for Christ. Number two, a second reason Paul says to live is Paul was willing to persist in life to motivate progress and joy in the faith. Paul says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And this word progress, we've actually already seen this word. It's the same word Paul used earlier in this chapter. Back up in verse 12 when he tells us that his imprisonment was being used to progress the gospel or to advance the gospel. It's the same word. And so Paul not only wants the the gospel to advance, but now listen, there's a shift here. He also wants the faith of these Philippian believers to advance along with their joy. He wants their joy in their journey to increase as well. One commentator points out, real progress in the faith, that is the Christian faith, will result in genuine joy in the faith. And so, again, I just throw it out there to you. 
If you lack joy in your journey, you ought to evaluate, well, am I progressing in the faith? Am I growing in my relationship with the Lord? Because if you're not growing in your relationship with the Lord, how can you ever expect to have joy in your journey? We're expecting something to happen that isn't reasonable. This is why Paul says the two go together. Progress in the faith and joy in the faith. This is why Paul is willing to stay on planet Earth so people can grow in their faith and grow in their joy in the journey. Here's the point. Paul's life on Earth is not for himself. It's for the others' progress. It's for their joy in the faith. Paul is willing for God to postpone heaven in order to use him to help others to grow in their faith and to grow in their joy. Which leads me to ask this question, what are you doing to advance the faith of others? How are you bringing about others' joy in their faith, in their journey? Your answer is important because this is why you've been left here on planet Earth. And then number three, a third reason Paul tells us to live is Paul was willing to persist in life to magnify the glory of Christ. Look again what Paul says in verse 26. So that. That's Paul's purpose clause. Paul is saying, yes, I am willing to persist in life to multiply fruit, and to motivate progress in joy in the faith. But here's the core of my desire. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now that's a reason to live, folks. Through his ministry to the Philippians, Paul wants them to make much of Jesus. Think about it. Paul's whole reason for living was to cause others to glorify or to magnify Jesus Christ. He is willing to sacrifice his own personal comfort, his own ease of life for the sake of the gospel. He is even willing to postpone heaven in order to give other believers greater reason to magnify Jesus Christ. What about you? Here's a convicting question. Does your living cause anybody to deepen their desire to grow in their faith and glorify Christ? Here's the bottom line of what Paul is saying when it comes to being ready for either. Look at it here in your notes. The bottom line, if we summarize it, here's what he's saying. Here's what to take a home with you. As a saint in Christ, and the reason I use that word saint is because that's the word Paul used back in verses 1 and 2, right? You remember what a saint is? It's not some super Christian. It's not some super holy Christian who's better than everybody else. A saint is simply one who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. And based on your faith in Christ, your position before God now is you are a saint. So as a saint, we could also use as a believer, as a Christ follower, you're on your way to heaven. But until you get there, Paul is saying this, do something for Christ. Do something for Christ. Do something for Christ. 
Yes, you're on your way to heaven. And if that's you, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, that's something to shout about. That's something to anticipate, something to long for. But it's not God's will for you to be in heaven at this moment. You say, wow, Bruce, how do you know that? Well, because you're still alive. You're here. You're not room temperature yet. Now, one day you will be. As it says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. And so your appointed time with death will come. But it's not God's will today that you're in heaven. So until you get to heaven, Paul says this, live for Christ. Do something for Christ with your life. The reason you are alive on this earth is to glorify Christ and to cause others, to motivate others to do the same. It can be so tempting, especially here in our American culture, to just live for your own advancement in this world. Our whole culture is geared towards this. Kids are raised in school for this sole purpose in life. The whole culture points everybody toward this purpose. Go to trade school, go to college. Why? So you can make a better life for yourself. Advance your own kingdom, your own pleasures, your own everything. But remember, Paul's personal mission statement is, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So yes, Long for your eternal homecoming in heaven. Anchor your joy in being with Christ in heaven. But do something for Christ and live for the glory of Christ while you are waiting for heaven to come. I close with one last story. A story about Betty Stamm. She was a missionary who was killed while living for Christ in China. And as a young woman of just 18 years old, in fact, just 10 years before Betty would be martyred in China, she wrote a prayer that would later be published throughout the Western world. Here's her poem, her prayer. Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt. And work out thy whole will in my life at any cost now and forever. And yes, she paid the ultimate cost, her life. She was martyred 10 years later after writing this prayer as a missionary in China. What's interesting, though, is years later, this poem was copied hand-copied by a young 12-year-old girl into the flyleaf of her Bible. A 12-year-old the world would one day know as Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth's husband, husband, as most of you know, Jim, would become one more martyr in the annals of church history when he was killed by the Alca Indians while living for Christ, serving Christ in the jungles of Ecuador. He, too, once wrote of his commitment to Christ like Paul did. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
which is just another way of saying with the Apostle Paul, for to me, to live is what? Christ, and to die is gain. Are you ready for either? You need to be ready for either. Ready to live for Christ or ready to die for Christ? Ready for either. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful perspective about life and death that Paul shares with us. He's so honest about his dilemma, his heart's desire to be with Christ in heaven. And yet he's also willing to live for Christ on earth in order to magnify Christ even more. And Father, I pray that we would be ready. Ready for either life or death like Paul. And so strengthen us that we would grow to the point where we are willing to live for Christ, even if that means enduring difficult circumstances. Help us to see that for the sake of the gospel and the glory of Christ, it is always, always worth it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.